Okay, everyone, places and action. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You talking to me? Here it looks like you boys have seen a lot of action. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. This is a Cinema Plus podcast brought to you by More Movies. Hello. And welcome to another episode of the Cinema Plus podcast, brought to you by moremovies.co.uk. I'm Greg Fisher, and in this series, myself and my friend and colleague Dave Roberts Esquire are discussing some of our favourite films. For this episode, I've selected The Game from 1997, a psychological thriller mystery from the hand of film deity David Fincher. One of the director's lesser-known films, The Game stars Michael Douglas, Sean Penn and Deborah Cara Unger, who all become embroiled in an intricate web of misdirection when Nicholas Van Orton, played by Douglas, is given a cryptic present by his younger brother Conrad, played by Penn. The birthday gift is an invite to play the game, a mysterious experience provided by a clandestine company which promises to provide fulfillment and present the participant with a newfound clarity in life. Initially sceptical and extremely reticent to take part, Van Orton eventually succumbs to intrigue and decides to participate in his cabalistic crusade. Things quickly begin to go awry and his usually measured and fastidious lifestyle is turned upside down when strange happenings begin to tear his world apart piece by piece. Having a decent box office return and a continued success in the rental market, the game has since become a little bit forgotten in recent years and I feel it deserves a shout out as one of Finch's most Hitchcockian and suspenseful efforts. Before Dave and I get into the nitty-gritty of another one of our deep dives, here's son of a screen legend and star of the picture, Michael Douglas, with his thoughts about this fantastic thriller. Yes, I mean, eventually the the birthday present was eventually a positive. But I think think that Nicholas was a character who was so isolated, so locked into his own routine that the only possible way to change him was to have this life experience of this, this game, this, excuse me, this company. That otherwise, because he, could afford, because he could afford his defense mechanisms, he could afford to protect himself, he would never uh, expose himself if it were not for the game. That's a nice, I'm, I'm really happy you, you, because that was my big worry of course, is to tell a story about a rich man who is rude, is insensitive, and how are you going to care about him? And then hopefully you show through a movie, say, well, wait a minute, he's just like me, he's, he's another person. Um, I, I guess I just have an ability um, to gain sympathy from audiences. The first time I was aware of it was Fatal Attraction. In Fatal Attraction, I played an adulterer. You know, I commit adultery on my wife, and yet we were all surprised how quickly the audience forgave me um, in the movie. And I, I like to think maybe it is because I hopefully try to try to achieve a good sense of honesty. Okay, Dave, the the game. What what do you reckon? Wow, just wow. Um, I think you know you'd recommended this film to me, and as I say, I watched it and was just blown away. I can't believe that I've missed this film. 
all these years that I've uh, it's one that's completely slipped me by and it is totally brilliant and it's it's now in my uh, top favourites list for sure it's exactly the kind of film I enjoy um, just superb well yeah I was hoping you were going to enjoy it obviously uh, I'd give you the Hitchcock slash Nolan pitch saying um, it reminded me of both of those directors in some ways uh, I find that that seems to be the case with it a lot of people haven't heard of it they missed it I don't know why that is um, but it just seems to be everybody else knows all of Fincher's stuff you know even like Panic Room or something like that uh, Zodiac has got a lot of kudos these days um, obviously the classics like Fight Club and Seven but the game never gets a mention but I remember watching it probably on rental when it came came around and I was blown away by it as well. It just really is full of surprises. Yeah, it is. It's very surprising because, of course, you know, I've pretty much seen all of Finch's catalogue, you know, and he is so well known and so well respected. And uh, I love the rest of his films. And so it is just one of those odd films that uh, disappeared, but it is an immaculate piece, really. It's, it's so tightly plotted, so well written. I think excellent performances from Michael Douglas and and Sean yeah. Penn uh, and everyone else that's in it, and I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. It it really was a, a film where I was glued to it, going, "What's happening next? Yeah, where's this going?" And however much you try and guess where it's going to go, because you know that this is a film that is packed with twists and turns, and it's deliberately sending you off the scent you couldn't get a grip of exactly where it was going to go until perhaps the very last minute where you you slightly pick up where it's where it's going to end but totally gripping from start to finish i mean when i first saw it i really got suckered into it thinking oh this company this crs is actually not what they purport to be they are shady operation that are basically trying to rip him off because i thought he's the perfect guy who you want to rip off because he's a, he's a billionaire he's a rich fat cat so he's he's a great target in that sense but not only did he want to take him to the cleaners in terms of financials but they also want to take him apart piece by piece psychologically so you know i was guessing things like oh is his brother has his brother got some sort of vengeance with him and right up to the very end i i was uh i was bought into it i was sold on it and that, for me, is what made the ending such a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I think about two-thirds of the way through, that's where I was sitting. It, it, it changed from a kind of, this is a crazy game, into a, oh, these are con artists, this is what it is, this is the twist. You know, and everyone, yeah. including the guys at the bar at the beginning, are in on it. And it, and But I, I was thinking more that, you know, like they were alluding to his brother had been blackmailed and... These guys were after him, and of course, yeah, they're out to ruin him, not only empty his bank accounts, but they're here to destroy this man for some kind of personal vendetta of some kind. Yeah. Um, I think it, the moment I started to go, no, this is a game like it was originally planned, was when he walked into the room and all the actors were there. And that's yeah. when my mind started going, ah, in a sec, it is a, a game. And he doesn't realise... But then I really didn't know where it was going to go from there because at that point it was like, there's only 10 minutes of this film left. What's going to happen? You know? yeah. um, and it, it really got crazy. And, and 
it was one of those things throughout the film that the stakes kept on getting higher and the pressure kept on ratcheting up and up and up yeah. and and you could feel it um but it, it kept you glued to the film you're like oh wow you know where's this gonna go um so yeah incredible um the, the pace of it was relentless really although it starts in a kind of slow tempo kind of this is a guy in, a, in an office kind of thing blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The, kind of the moment it gets going which doesn't take long it, it doesn't stop it's a very relentless uh film it's like you said it gets ratcheted up and the pace gets ratcheted up as well and as well as the pressure and um it's brilliant because he's such a cold character, such a cool customer, uh, Michael Douglas's character, Nicholas Van Orton. He's so reserved and measured and he has a very scheduled life, you know, um, and a very lonely life. And once the game starts to kick in, when he returns home that night and there's the uh, clown dummy is left in the very spot where his father has jumped off the bloody building... Uh, yeah. years before uh, you know straight away it's quite spooky and you think god you know that is quite uh, nobody likes clowns in in terms of you know being quite spooky and stuff like that so straight away you've got this kind of uh, sinister element that's entering the house um, the TV talking to him is good fun you know it's it shows the power of these people. They're almost omnipotent power to control what's coming through the TV, you know, and that whole, uh, you think it's impossible that there's a camera got into your house and then the realisation that he's brought it in with him. He's, it's in the clown, the camera's in the clown. It's like eyes. you've invited this intruder, yeah. So he's all, he's almost participating in his own destruction without knowing it. But straight away, he's he's unnerved and... He doesn't know what to expect. That I mean, that's the other great thing about it. At the start, when he's trying to find out what the game is, everybody it, that we find out later, of course, like you just said, they're all actors. But you know, the guys in the club and uh, all these people are talking about the game, and he just can't can't find out what it what it is because he wants to be sure of it. He wants to know what it is before he gets into it, and everyone's being really cryptic and really. Uh, shrouding it in this kind of mysterious uh, law. And as I said in the intro, um, his intrigue gets the better of him. And he has, he has to he has to go in. Curiosity killed the cat, right? Well, it's interesting because, yeah, when the, the kind of law of the game, it's an interesting kind of um, analysis on kind of the human psyche, really. It is that exact thing of the more something is intriguing the more something is ah you don't know about that oh you know it's really good the more you get pushed into yeah deep down into the well of it and that and that's what's so intriguing i think the thing i was thinking as i was watching it was this is just like an old twilight zone episode in a way the story is straight out of that playbook of it's a, a rich guy you want uh who's so fulfilled in life supposedly or or in or fulfilled in a certain element of his life yeah um the, the the only way to get thrills is by going to an agency you know and uh, yeah anything can be bought even an experience can be bought um but the consequences of seeking this um kind of experience experience for in your life yeah they kind of uh, can obviously can be uh devastating but it was able to do you know 
obviously what things like Twilight Zone couldn't do on their budgets and uh, the limited time span and go obviously all out on on such an idea um yeah. like a full over on a long a lot. like a full on action movie I was going to say yeah you're like allowed to fill out the full time it's a full on action movie budget it, you, they can they can do what the hell they want and that's the thing with the film it's so expansive yeah i was i was just absolutely gobsmacked that the film was everywhere you know mm-hmm. it, it really didn't stop in terms of uh, set pieces it was here there and everywhere yeah one hotel to another <laughs> yeah it's just a, a new location every five minutes it was like geez th- these guys didn't stop well it's interesting what you say about uh, buying an experience because that um, goes back to what you were talking about in our last episode when we were discussing exam about this idea of escape rooms that is in a sense is buying an experience in a way um, I know there are probably even better examples nowadays where you can go to like a murder mystery weekend and these kind of different experiences. But this, this sure, one, yeah. that it is playing on that whole thing. Like, like you said, um, he, he's already satisfied in the sense of financials and success as a professional, and he's respected and he's got everything he needs. And even his brother says, "What do you get for the man that's got it all?" Well. That's perfect, really, because you you get him an experience that is, you know, beyond, in a sense, beyond uh, financials. Even though at the end there's that good joke about uh, them splitting the cost of the bill that is obviously <laughs> cost them a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's that's the whole thing. It, I think you're absolutely right in the sense of this intrigue, this insatiable desire to to get to the bottom of of the mystery of what this thing is, is really what leads him into it. But it does play with audience perceptions in the sense that it doesn't necessarily tell you whether they are on a level or whether this CRS company are going to be taking him to the cleaners. So that's what keeps you guessing. Obviously, yes, you keep guessing what's going to happen next. What what else are they going to throw at him? What else is going to go wrong? I mean, one of my favourite scenes is when he bursts into that guy... Um, the one he's been having having the trouble with, um, I think his character's name's Anson Bayer. It's played by Armin Muller-Stahl. You know the guy who's got a very, uh, very European accent. And you know when he busts into yeah. his hotel room to tear a piece out of him, and he throws the uh, Polaroid photos down and says, "You're not going to get me." And and the guy has already agreed that he's going to take the redundancy package, and he doesn't even know what he's talking about. So he completely embarrasses himself, and and he throws down all this stuff and he appears for the first time to be a bit unhinged because like I say he's a cool customer he's a cool character and then suddenly he's bursting into this guy's hotel room and you know shouting his head off and uh, swearing revenge and throwing the photos with a uh, you know lascivious activity on them all over the place and this guy's just smoking a cigar looking at him as if to say what is wrong with you you crazy sucker. what's wrong with you you silly motherfucker yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's the first time it it, it gets to him, doesn't it? And it, yeah. it is interesting because I think that's the interesting piece of the film, really, the character development of Nicholas yeah. throughout the film. And Douglas plays him superbly, um, even with that massive forehead. He does a superb he job. He hasn't of, got a massive forehead. What are you talking about? He has. Look at that hairline. But uh, um, it's, it's only because his hair's slicked back. Is you know, I think he's a he's a he he's a handsome fellow. 
Well, I was going to say I don't think he's got a massive forehead. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, amazing performance. He, he is. He's brilliant. And it, I've always liked Michael Douglas. Um, when you look at stuff like Black Rain, the Ridley Scott one. Um, yeah. Where he plays that tough cop and he goes to Japan and Andy Garcia. That's a brilliant performance. Falling Down, obviously, is classic Michael Douglas. Everybody still loves Falling Down, right? That's a hell of a movie. And and for me, for my money, this one as well. I mean, I know he did all the famous ones. He did like Romance in the Stone, Jewel of the Nile. He did the uh, sex thrillers with Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction. And yeah, whatever. But these three films, I really like him in. I think Falling Down's excellent. Um, I really enjoyed Black Rain. And this, this to me was just, wow. I thought he was brilliant in it. He's the perfect guy to play that kind of, you know, uptight business asshole really he's a bit of a cold a cold character he's got an ex-wife because obviously he's missed he's neglected her and he's not well, it's very wall street isn't it he's very oh yeah there you go gordon gecko he's basically gordon gecko who gets uh you know given the ultimate um weekend experience like uh, i think uh fincher described it as uh the mission impossible experience <laughs> but you know it's yeah because i mean it obviously starts the film like that i think but yeah, I think the kind of character development throughout is is really remarkable and, and comes off really well because obviously, as you say, he becomes unhinged in that scene. Yeah, and this is after his kind of the excitement seeps in and he and he, he turns it on action. And then he goes a bit psychotic. By the end of the film, it's he's, he's a completely different character who's like you know being nice to everyone and finally yeah. realizing he's that, let go uh, of all of those layers of uh, pomposity yeah. and uptightness. He's just let everything go. Because at the start, I don't care about the money. Yeah, and and doesn't care about the power. He doesn't care about being right all the time or being respected all the time. He's just become like one of us, a normal normal guy, so to speak. Because that's the thing at the start. Everybody, he's, everybody around him is a yes man. Um, you know that scene when the the woman, the young secretary comes in the and into his office and wishes him a happy birthday, and he's like, I don't like her. That's that sums that character up. He's just judged yeah. her for saying happy birthday to him. You know, what kind of person is this? He should be like, exactly. I do like her. She's nice. She said happy birthday to me. But instead, he's like, I don't like her. But as you say, by the end, he's he's just become so much more relaxed. <laughs> and he had to jump off a f***ing building in order to let all that uh, uptightness yeah. go. But it is a good metaphor for that, you know, uh, less stressful living well, it's because he's by, you know, he's been humbled by the end exactly. of the film. Exactly, humbled is the word. He has been humbled by it all. But you know, re- re- yeah, remarkable kind of transformation and a remarkable journey. And it's interesting, really, isn't it? Because it's a film that tells you exactly what this film is at the very beginning. Yeah, it tells you it's a game, but you you are it's so well written yeah. that you believe it's not yeah. for most of it, um, and and you get torn off on all these threads, and then he ends up. It, yeah. it was a game we told you at the beginning, but it's not really about that in the end. That's just a MacGuffin yeah. to, there to lead you forward. In reality, it's a, it's about the man himself and yeah. the journey he's going on, um, and it's a it's just it's almost a story of redemption, really, a story of transformation. Is um, it's really got to find without himself. even knowing it, without knowing it. Yeah, yeah. it's a self discovery piece, and I think that's really interesting, really, because it obviously. It's put together and comes yeah. across as like an action thriller, um, but I think it's more to sync than that. It's more of a, yeah. a personal character piece 
It's just got the dressing Absolutely. of lots of car chases. Um, it still looks very fresh as well. I mean, it's 23 years old now. I feel like it, it looks like it could have been made within the last 10 years. There's not much to give it away as an older piece. No, yeah, I think there's, there's the odd thing, obviously, like um, the mobile phone is obviously an old mobile mm. phone. Um, and, and a few little relics from from the time, but on the most part, if you you know if you weren't paying attention to them, yeah, I mean, you could have believed yeah. it was shot last year or something. You know, there's nothing to no, really I don't, stand out. I don't feel out. like any of the any of the styles in it are particularly dated. The cars are still you know of a certain era that that hasn't gone away yet. Like you know, he's got a BMW and and it still looks really fresh. I thought anyway, yeah, all that stuff, all the, the, part. the suits, yeah. all still quite modern. It must have been at the time quite, you know, on the pulse in that sense that 23 yeah. years later it still looks rather fresh. Like if we'd watched something in 1990 that was made in uh, 1967, you'd be able to tell, you know, the haircuts, the suits, the... Straight the away, yeah. The film <laughs> stock and things like that. But, you know, this film I feel has, has aged particularly well. I think you can tell as well that um, obviously Fincher is renowned for you know making beautiful films. His films have a, a wonderful look to them, um, and really you know tries to do very contemporary things uh, with his filmmaking. And I think you watch this and you uh, you know there's a particular scene that just stood out to me at the beginning. It's only small yeah. really when he's sitting on the sofa, and there's this lovely. Um, yeah. The camera panning round, you know, uh, Dollyan um, on this turn, and you thought, how fresh that kind of looked and felt it, you know. And I think that's what makes it feel modern, like the, yeah. the camera movement and the way the film is shot is so uh, contemporary now. It's like part of the modern lexicon. There's there's a shot when he inspects the clown close up for the first time, and that shot that goes slowly pushes in on the clown's face and it just looks so clean and so beautiful. Yes. There's also another absolutely fabulous shot. It's just a, um, I think it's just a static wide shot where for the, when he's coming back from Mexico, do you remember when he's walking up the street and it's a, it's a perfectly uh, symmetrical shot because he's right bang in the middle of the frame with his back to the camera walking down this, you know, um, Chicago Street or New York or wherever it is and you can see all the buildings around and there's a bridge overhead uh, in front of him and it's it's just a hell of a shot and it just shows him like lonely guy walking you know yeah. almost uh, crawling back into his uh, former existence on Wall Street and I, I love that shot I, every time I see it I just think wow that's that's a hell of a lens that is and I think I, I think what helps it is that it is I think it was made yeah. you know what's this 1997 I think that's just the cusp of the time when kind of this modern lexicon of um filming yeah was starting to happen and I think that's what uh helps it in terms of I think if it had been a few years earlier it might be um less dynamic a film and um that I think if probably it had been any other film director because it's there's something about Fincher that seems to possibly just have his finger on that pulse in a way. And uh, if you'd have give it to somebody else, maybe it would have just looked um, a little bit more dated by now. But I think the fact that it was Fincher, it, it does fit into his canon of work. When you look at stuff like Panic Room or you look at stuff uh, like Zodiac, there's you know he's, there's a certain quality there that um, that that has remained fresh. 
you know. Yeah, it definitely smells of Fincher, doesn't it? It absolutely you know, you kind of, reeks You can tell Fincher. as you're watching it going... It stinks. <laughs> it reeks of it. stinks to high heaven. It's like, <laughs> you've left it all Jesus, on here, son. <laughs> Somebody just cut a Fincher. But yeah, it, 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 it does. And um, it's totally his sort of film. It's, you know, it, it was... I think it, the script was knocking about a bit beforehand... One of the guys who produced it was originally going to direct it. And then, you know what it's like, these things get tossed around. And eventually, Fincher decided he liked it. Wanted to make a few tweaks, but he was going to make it. And they were going to do it. But then when Brad Brad Pitt signed on to do Seven, that got priority. And they did Seven first. And then he came back and did the game. But he was originally planning to do that before Seven. Um, I mean, some people said it didn't do that well at the box office because it had a huge, like, $100 million budget and it only probably made $30 million. But I think, you know, that's that's a success. You know, they made, it, they made enough money back on it. Um, well, obviously they didn't. I mean, but... Yeah, I mean... It, it, it didn't flop, is what I'm saying. It didn't flop. But again, going back to what we were saying at the start, it's surprising how many people haven't seen this. It is. It is surprising. I mean, looking oh, here, yeah. it made 60 million worldwide. So so they did lose on the film. But, you know, the box office is never... It can't isn't always the indicator of how good a film no. is, you know, sometimes. Um, oh, many yeah. films have done crap at the box office. But it's interesting because, you know, this film is a bit like yeah. uh, Seven in that way. So, you know made just after seven so you can see the kind of intertwining of the kind of what he would have been in the mindset of because again this is another kind of dark mm. thriller with um no it's obviously to not be as dark honest, as seven which is very dark for david fincher it's quite uh a lot lighter than his usual uh, yes. level of you know uh, darkness so to speak but just the fact that he was the director on it i think it elevated the darkness of the game um to a, an appropriate level yeah so even though it's it's less dark than in the films he usually makes it's certainly darker than it would have been unless you'd give it to some psychopath like Cronenberg or Lars von Trier of course who would have completely changed it and Nicholas Van Orton would have ended up <laughs> killing everyone and jumping off the building and killing himself yeah to shoot the shit out of everyone yeah plummets into his death but I mean it, it, this, you could imagine, yeah. I mean, different people could have taken it so in just different ways. You could imagine if it was given to just some kind of run of the mill director, it could have ended up like a comedy almost. Um, yeah, like a After Hours. Yeah, in a sense, it's a very similar film. That guy goes out for one night, and you know, all this stuff happens to him. He doesn't want it to, but it happens to him, and he has a crazy adventure. And then the next morning, he's. All, all the wiser for it, and he's back where he started. And, you know, we talked about that in our very first podcast episode. Um, so if you want to go back first. and check that episode out and see what we thought of Martin Scorsese's After Hours, it's there. But it's a similar film in that sense. It doesn't take place over one night, but it's very it is. much a night film as well. You know, there's a lot of things that happen under the shadow of darkness. <laughs> But it could have been, it could have been shot like that, you know, in terms of being, a, you know, a comedy, you know, more light-hearted and stuff. Uh, but I don't think that would have worked in terms of what is supposed to be coming across. I think Douglas lends a slight, uh, almost sardonic comedy element to it. You know, he's got this sort of sense of he plays yes. it perfectly. Really, he plays it note perfect that. If somebody is as well-to-do as Nicholas Van Orton was in that situation, then there are going to be moments where, you know, 
his pride takes a bit of a fall and it's it's a comedy moment you know especially when he starts in with with um deborah Karonga's character uh i think is christine in the film once he sort of couples up with her and the adventure really begins then there are slight there are slight comedy elements there but like you said it would be wrong to go down that route um considering the tone of the piece but yeah i could i could imagine that like a comedy of errors but like i say that would be for me that would be after hours i mean it could have been even darker just reading there in in an early version of the script he does kill Christine and then commit suicide. Well, that's what that's what I said about uh, if David Cronenberg did it, or you know, s- some other. Uh, <laughs> that's what would have happened. Yeah, dark and vengeful film director. That's what would have happened if Wes Anderson had done it. Then imagine that the color palette alone would have been a lot more. Favorite. It wouldn't have worked, would it? It's a really nice, engrossing film because. <sighs> It almost feels a bit like a murder mystery. Yeah, but nobody but gets it, but murdered. It's, but it's not yeah, a murder, exactly. you know. Yeah, but it's but it's that kind of feeling when you you know when you watch the film because you're again it's one of the films where yeah. you're playing a detective, absolutely, and then you're sitting there uh, watching and exploring it with it. And they're the films that I find are the most fun that you're sitting there trying to guess what's happening next. And I think it does a superb job of yeah. navigating those red herrings. Oh, it does. Because um, obviously some films fail at doing that, really, and um, get it wrong and over and overarch it. This does a really great job. That it's so well written, so tightly plotted, that it navigates it really nicely, that you are guessing and going, oh, no, that's not it. It's, it's going in this direction now. And keeps on weaving throughout. Well, that's what we were discussing last time with exam. You know, all of these little clues are there, in a sense, to lead you to the next clue and to keep you guessing, and sometimes to misdirect. But this film, it does seem to have a real mastery of being able to, you know, do the old sleight of hand misdirection, and and when you think it's going to zig, it zags. But that's why I was really quite excited when you said you hadn't seen it, uh, because I thought, for my money, knowing you, this is this is right up your street, this kind of film, because of those reasons. And like I say, it, if it had been made in the 60s, Alfred Hitchcock would have done it, and it would have been fantastic. Imagine this with James Stewart as Nicholas Van Orton. Oh, um, you know, yes. that whole um, Hitchcock treatment. It would have been great then. He could have done this. Oh, it would have been superb. It would have been a real thriller. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, when you first said, "Have you seen the game?" I I just thought you were referring to Triple H um, from the wrestling, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah. uh, well, you would. I would, of course. But time to play the game. <laughs> I uh, I you know, the moment I started watching, it, I was like, "This is this is really fabulous." Um, you know, and some people, you know criticize it and say it's vacuous and um kind mm. of almost pointless that it just goes on this random journey but to me it's tremendous fun and it's about far more than just um a crap pot mystery point. you know it is, is a hell of it's a, a hell of a ride yeah he gets involved in the game and therefore we as the, the audience get involved in the game if he just threw the ticket out the window and went back to wall street and that was the rest of the film. It would just we, we wouldn't you wouldn't have it. We wouldn't be happy with that. 
when it's got the game slapped on the tin, you know? A film about but, decisions, yeah, really. Yeah, that's the there. whole point. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're going to call a film like that vacuous because it seems to be pointless, I don't I don't see the point in a lot of films in that yeah. case. You know, somebody who says something like that must only want to watch something that uh, is completely, you know, reliant on you getting the subtext and finding something more deep and meaningful in everything. I mean, I think Fincher said it, it serves as a comment on, on films themselves and how they do feed us these little bits of information and all these clues. Uh, for this in particular, in terms of the fact that we usually rely on films that what they show and tell us that we can we can take as gospel, that's what's going to happen, that's this, this. Whereas this film, it turns that on its head. Yeah. It, it, shows and, it shows us this, that and the other, but really we find out that's, you know, even down to the point where he's in that apartment with her, and he and the books aren't books. Yeah, I, it reminded me of actually. That's what it is on a movie set. All of that stuff. It's not. They're not real books because they're made to look exactly like real books, but they're just light, empty. You know, fronts. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly, fronts, and all the drawers are empty. The the picture in the frame had a magazine. It was a cutting from a magazine. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. But all the way through, I think every. Every set piece that that you go through during the film was fresh and exciting, and you, you didn't quite know when when to stop. Really, you know, the, the bit where he gets in the taxi, you know, and um, oh, that's what reminded me of After Hours as well. You the, just the taxi me ride all the way through. You know, when he gets in that taxi and the guy goes ripping off and he's flying around the back of it, it reminded me of Griffin Dunn in, so, in yeah, After I Hours. Thought I thought. The same thing, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I meant about it having that kind of slightly comedic side. Uh, but that guy's brilliant, isn't it? When he he does he takes a dive, rolls out the taxi, which must have <laughs> fucking hurt. Oh, it looked like it must have hurt, yeah, because he uh, he rolls over. It's like great stunt work there. But then the, the, the whole car just rushes off the edge of the uh um the pier into the into the harbour there and it's just like wow. That that you would I think that's the and, point and that, that crank that they that he's found earlier. You know, he's found this mysterious um item which is a crank and you think it's like an escape room like that. It's like, oh you're gonna need that but by the time he needs it you forgot that he even he even got that even item. Yeah, yeah, and then you like he pulls it out of his pocket, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, the crank, good thinking, Nicholas." And he he manages to get Burr. out of it. But also fantastic uh, um, coming up for air acting by him there when he bursts out of the water and is that sort of real desperate kind of. <gasps> you feel like yeah, he was just <laughs> on the edge of drowning there, and I, you know, get again, me some oxygen. Yeah, brilliant, uh, a consummate professional, Michael Douglas. Oh, consummate. You know, just uh, getting it real, making it feel real. Um, you know, because it Definitely. could have been a really daft moment, but um, but I think that was the point where I started to think, well, surely if it was a game, they wouldn't go that far because you could kill someone. That's and that's the point. Because the only thing you um, could put that down to is saying that when he he does that whole day of tests, obviously he's doing the cognitive tests and you know oh, multiple yes. choice, but he's also doing a um, physical. So you could could say really that was so uh, fastidious to, to to make sure he could survive something like that. But yes, absolutely, it makes you guess. It makes you think that they are actually trying to kill him. Because yeah. th- if this was a game, they wouldn't they wouldn't do, they wouldn't do that. Go that far. It's far too dangerous. Well, they uh, put their insurance premiums for the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to put the prices up. 
but no, that's, that's, that, and that's, I think that's what it. helps to keep you guessing all the way through it's kind of like how how far is it going to go and it's like when they um escape and go to that old house with christine um and she's pretending to be on his side and but she's actually an actress she gives him the drink and oh the old um, log cabin yeah and then she gives him the old the log Mickey cabin Finn, and he wakes up Finn in is mexico in Mexico, now but before that, that is the a mind that he, blower, isn't it? But the, before that happens, yeah. Just just to mention that, you know, as he you know checks his bank accounts, oh my god, they've been emptied. Yeah. You know, at that point, you're thinking, God, these guys are because <laughs> they they are yeah. con men. Now yeah. she's an actress, da da da. She's yeah, part uh, of it, and, which is put you know kind of laid on top of that taxi ride there <laughs> attempt. Yeah. And at this point, you're going the f-ers, and then then you find out his attorney's in on it, and you're like. Is is everyone out to get him? Is this is a vendetta thing? It's a, a whole collection of people who think this guy's a. <laughs> we're going to take him down. Even his attorney's in on it, and his brother and everyone. And you think Jesus, but then yeah, of course we then wake up in Mexico, and it's like, what the? <laughs> f-? I actually thought I'd <laughs> skip. I thought I, the film had skipped. I thought I'd pressed a button or something on the remote. It and is gone. an absolute. because <laughs> you don't show you. Uh, taking him there, there's no allusion nope. to Mexico in any of the other. He just wakes up in the dark. You don't even know where he is, and then as you get that exterior shot, and he's in this box, which can only be described as a kind of a coffin, and he's in this like weird, really weird basement. And then he comes up, and there's that great shot of him afterwards sitting there, close up against the wall, and that fly is actually there's an actual fly on his shoulder, actual fly, which yeah. gives this sort of um, notion that he's you know he stinks, he's in a bad way. Uh, I, it's just brilliant. It, that you never see that coming. You never see that coming. That's because he's been eating fajitas all evening. <laughs> uh, that tequila yeah. goes straight through you. As as far as he knows, he has. But um, yeah, what a brilliant thing! Again, adds to the whole idea that they're trying to get rid of him. You know, as That's one it. failed murder attempt in the taxi. Right, let's just do away with him and put him down in Mexico. I suppose thinking about it, if they wanted to have killed him, then they could have just killed him and buried him. But they didn't. He just drugged him and woke him up there. It's again. It's part of his trial. Well, for, it's part of his journey. It's part of this learning process that you know. For a very brief second, I didn't actually know where he was when he was when he was first there and he was walking. I thought, is he in like India or somewhere like that? You right. know, because it looks so desperate. And then I clicked, oh, it's Mexico. You know, because yeah. <laughs> they're not going to fly him all the way over there. Um, no. It's that. It's that whole thing, isn't it? Like taking him from the top of what he was, you know, as you were saying in the wood cabin, $600 million is what we're talking here. You think, oh, yeah. <laughs> this guy is, you know, top, 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 you know, he's in the... Uh, he is Golden Gecko, basically, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, he's Golden Echo, And character. it's like, now we're going to make you a homeless man on the street in a, in a, a country that's got f***ing <laughs> all. Um, now you know what it feels like. And that's yeah. such an interesting... Welcome to the real world. ...journey. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, a brilliant kind of character arc, and then you see, and that's where you see the humility in him, especially when he walks into that bar yeah. and he's like, "I got eighteen bucks or whatever. Yeah. Can someone give take me, a, me home? You know." Yeah, give me uh, and it's a real, it's almost a very poignant moment, really. That is kind of wow. This yeah, guy's he, been he's taken desperate. to nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's on his knees, and and Begging this has come help. from a guy that has had everybody, you know, doing everything around him. He's got that lovely maid at home, Elsa, who is played by the great Carol Baker, by the way. Um, yeah. Which is quite incredible to see her there. Um, yeah, and everybody's done everything for him now. He's he's literally, like it says on the T-shirt, left, 
drugged and left for dead in Mexico. And uh, you know, which I want one of those t-shirts. Hasn't got a pot to put in or a window to throw it out of. But, um, <laughs> I'd love yeah. one of those t-shirts and a and a bunch of Mexican guys uh, playing music behind me. That's yeah. That's my dream. <laughs> well, on the t-shirt or in real life, the Mexican. Guys? In real life. Okay. Have an mariachi behind me, behind me, you know. Uh, yeah. Mariachi playing band, some music. It. When when's mariachi your birthday? Band, yeah. Uh, next year. <laughs> well, I'll, just, uh, I'll just make a note of that. Anyway, as we always do with these things, we need to get to that point where we give it a mark on 10, dear David. Uh, I, I, I've got an 8 on this one. I've got an 8, which is, you know, I've, you know, as I said before, it's, that's a decent score for me. Not quite a 9, but certainly a very strong 8. A massive Michael Douglas fan and would recommend this film to anybody who was, you know, got an interest in the genre. What about you? Yeah, tough one, but I think I'd have to agree. It's a, I think it's an eight for me. Ladies and, and gentlemen, we have an agreed score on this one. Yeah. Woo! Consensus. Let's get some fireworks going for the magic number eight. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, think yeah. It's a 7.8 on IMDb, so we're not far off the general consensus. Uh, yeah, I think it's an incredibly strong film. It maybe doesn't have quite the magic to make it that kind of 9 or 10 film. No, it's uh, not legendary, but, but it's certainly one of the best, you know... Incredibly solid. Films you can see. Yeah, and definitely recommended to everyone, really, to go and watch it. It's a really enjoyable film. Here's a good question for you. Would you like to watch it again at some point? Oh, yeah. There you go. There's a great uh, litmus test. Are you doing the litmus configuration? It's the litmus configuration. It's it's a great litmus test for a film if you'll if you go back and see it again. Yeah, this is definitely a rewatcher. This is a really enjoyable... I think yeah, I've seen it about five times now. I just watched it again yesterday knowing we were going to be talking about it, so that's probably five times. I think it's definitely... I'd, I'd watch it again as Sunday well. afternoon couple of beers you'd, yeah it's a great one to that's why you watch into, all really. your movies that's what you always say Sunday afternoon I know of beers. how many films how many beers are you having on a Sunday afternoon well you know just a few <laughs> on a sunny afternoon. I mean for me a Sunday afternoon film is something like Waterloo or The Longest Day or some kind of war epic or you know El Cid um, or uh Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. Something like that. that wow. You know, it's basically you're watching it just before dinner time, and you're still watching it <laughs> when it's nearly tea time. You know what I mean? And it's finished. That's a Sunday that afternoon long. film for me. Um, this is a good Friday night hour at the flicks, if you ask me. Or maybe maybe but. Saturday evening uh, movie then, because yeah. maybe the, the Sunday afternoon movie is perhaps the sound of music, really, or yeah. or anything or that's uh, that escape long. Escape to victory. <laughs> Starring Michael yes. Caine or Sylvester Stallone. Or The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. I see a great thing on Twitter that somebody had put the scene from The Great Escape and then the recreation scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Leo DiCaprio as Captain Oh, Hills. brilliant. And they, and they played him concomitantly. And it was, oh, yeah. It was, it was really cool to see that. I Captain think it's definitely Hills. like... Basically, Sunday afternoon films are f- films that your mum and dad enjoy. On Easter Sunday, basically. Yeah, I think I also associate <laughs> them with the films that are just that they used to put on TV. Honestly, put on the telly. Yeah. Over here in the UK, you know, before satellite TV and stuff, when it was just four channels, 
ITV is usually like they do stuff like put the bonds on. I think they're doing the bonds at the moment, aren't they? Uh, on a Sunday night. Yeah, they've been Seems running them the uh, lockdown. There you go. David Fincher nice. doing a James Bond film. That would be cool. That, that would, would be, be awesome. That would be dark. It'd be really good, I reckon. Because Nolan really is probably good. never going to lower himself to uh, take on a Bond. But, I'd love uh, to see Nolan do a Bond, though. That would be like yeah. dream come true. It'd be called No No Time for Time. Knowing <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Christopher Nolan's <laughs> the, the Die Another Time. Die Another Time, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there we go. That was uh, any final thoughts there on um, the game? Yeah, I think just really fresh, really exciting film. Intriguing and uh, exhilarating throughout. Really recommended for people just to go and enjoy. It's a really, really fun film. Um, And it flies by. It really doesn't, you know, it's just over two hours, but it doesn't feel like it. It it went in a flash. I agree. uh, It's a film that gets you really invested very quickly. Yeah, I mean, some films that go over the two-hour runtime... Sometimes you feel it and you think, God, we've been watching this for days. But, yeah, this one, I feel, yeah, I totally agree. It flies by. Great, great surprise ending. Really uh, recommended for anybody out there listening that hasn't seen it. And, uh, yeah, that concludes our broadcast, Dave. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Thank you very much. Great recommendation. Enjoyed it. Well, next time we'll be discussing whatever you choose. So uh, I'll pick something out we'll all enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, thanks again. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of Cinema Plus. Please take a look at our website, moremovies.co.uk. We're building a collection of reviews, articles, essays, and of course, these podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you, so come and say hello on Twitter. We're at moremovies4. Until next time, film fans, take it easy. And in the words of Johnny Utah, Via con Dios.